Psalm chapter 9. And so with the Lord's help, we'll be examining the first 11 verses, which is maybe a little over the halfway. But we'll just read verses 1 to 11 this evening. Psalm 9, to the chief musician upon Muth Labain, a psalm of David. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them, but the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness." He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Amen. And our reading at the 11th verse, it does does continue until verse uh, 20. So David now, as we've seen in in previous psalms, has already spoken of, sung about, composed the truths that the Lord, uh, that the mercies that he has prayed unto the Lord for, that he has also received or he at least has hope that he will yet receive them. And again, we see more enemies and more dangers coming up and rising up in the life of, of David. And he glories, we see uh, immediately, in the past victories of God. And that's what gives him great encouragement. Uh, and that gives him that hope, that encouragement, that the Lord is listening, the Lord has listened, and therefore the Lord will again listen. The hope of present and future and even eternal victories that the Lord will ultimately have over his and our enemies. And so we come then to these first uh, uh, 11 verses. We will take the, the remaining verses, God willing, next time. Uh, and so I've given the title of this victory song um, of Christ, this, this, the past, present, and perpetual victories of Christ. Um, the past, present, and perpetual victories of, of Christ. And we come to some technical issues when we look at um, the superscription. Uh, we have this, it's to the chief musician upon Muth Labain. Um, there are various thoughts about what this might mean. 
different ways of translating these words together. The authorised translators have taken uh, the uh, one part of the word is al. You can't see it there because they've translated it as upon. So upon or al muthlaben would be the full phrase there. Uh, and so if they're if they're read together as one word as al muthlaben, the, the translators can come up with various other uh, meanings. It can mean, um, again, upon. And then muth means death or to die, and labain means unto the sun or even of the sun. So you could understand it as being upon the death of the sun or maybe upon the death of somebody called laben. There's no capital letters to help you in, in, in the Hebrew in that way. Um, it may be even uh, almuth, which means a virgin or a young lady, or a lady's voice in the context of music. So it may be to the chief musician upon soprano, and then it's given to somebody called Ben. And in, in fact, there was a musician called Ben that we have listed in the scriptures um, as his name. So there are various possibilities of its meaning and what it might point to. Um, but what we can say, it's, it's, it, although it's very interesting to see regarding the death of the sun, that we, we would instantly put a, maybe a Christological uh, meaning to it, and that might be relevant as well. Um, but the most sober of minds that we have in the commentaries, which is uh, Calvin, of course, say what we would understand is that it's probably just some musical term. It may be the name of the melody that's used, um, or indeed it might be the, this, the, that idea that this is for a lady's voice, a, 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 you know, a soprano's voice to be sung on that way. But it's a psalm of David, and that's the most important Aspect. When did David? When did David write this psalm? Uh, some would suggest that David wrote it when he is in his kingship, um, because we have um, a couple of referrals to uh, the Lord being enthroned. Um, we see in verse eleven, sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. And I thought there was yes in verse fourteen that I may show forth all I praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. That it would appear to be when the ark has been returned, at least to the tabernacle, of course, um, on, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Strictly speaking, on Zion, um, uh, maybe, maybe not. So the idea is then that some would say, well, there we go. It's touring his kingship when, when the, the wanderings of the ark has been has ceased and therefore the Lord, as it were, reigns near enough to say that he rules in Zion. Although I, when I read these verses, I think, well, they're pointing to the heavenly Zion both times. But let's move into the, the substance uh, of the... Of the uh, well, no, no, before we go into the substance, we're going we're gonna to look at the structure because this is the first... Partial acrostic, if you know that some psalms, I think it's about six or eight, actually start with various letters of the alphabet. The, the, the most famous example is Psalm 119. It has 22 sections, and each section of eight verses, each of those eight verses all begin with the same letter of the alphabet. So uh, the first section, verses one to eight, they all begin with Aleph the various words, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it moves on to Baith and Gimel and Daleth and, and moving on. And that's the most uh, famous, it's the most well-ordered and structured one. This one is partially acrostic. We have the, uh, 
Uh, the first two verses we have I will and then halfway through the first verse I will show forth and then second verse I will be glad and then I will sing praise that I will is Aleph so there's four Alephs uh, jammed into uh, into those two verses and then the third verse begins with a baith uh, the second letter, when, is literally what that letter is used for there. Uh, but it's not consistent. It's not all 22 letters. It can't be because there's only 20 verses. Um, and so, there is, so we have four Alephs, and later on, I'll maybe mention them if I remember, verses 7 to 10, all begin with, uh, with Vav, or Wow, however you want to pronounce that uh, letter. Uh, so there are some letters that are missing and there's some order that's missing. But it is, it is the first of the acrostics. Maybe there'll be a deeper meaning to why these letters are a little bit... Some are missing and some are jumbled up. Uh, but what we do see is there are clear groupings in those letters that are together. They have a common theme. Uh, and it's not often, as I've been studying it, that you can say, ah, well, this, uh, this letter may refer to something else except verses 13 and 14 are their only exception. They do follow on from each other but begin with different letters. But I've also noticed that some commentators just then ignore that second letter, saying it's not part of a sequence. And indeed, it is out of sequence. Um, so for those who are interested in that sort of minutiae, um, there you go. You know, every, everything's in the Scriptures for a reason and has a meaning. But let us, let us see together the first of two points this evening. As we look at the past, present, and perpetual victories of Christ, we see firstly the song of victory commences. The song of victory commences, and we see there in verses 1 and 2, praise forth told, praise forth told. We see, I will praise thee, Lord, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. And as I said, those I wills, or, or all the, the, the Aleph, the beginning of the letter, that's part of the, the, the um, let's just say the future tense as it has been translated here. We're not going to go into the, the, the we're not going to go into Hebrew grammar, so I'm just using very simple terms, even slightly incorrect terms for those that know their Hebrew grammar, and there are two men I know in the room that do, but just understand it's translated as a future and it is correct in that sense. He's saying, I will praise thee, O Lord. So he, he's showing a real praise. I will praise thee. It's real praise. It's a personal praise. It's a real praise because he's going to do it with his heart. So I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to bring lip service. I'm going to come into the church and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to sing my hymn. I'm going to say my amen and I'm going to go home. And yet my heart is cold. No, with my whole heart, with all my heart. And with my whole heart, if you understand that, 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 that word lab in the, in the Hebrew is uh, heart and mind, with, 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 with everything that's in me, I intend to give thee full praise. So we can include the emotions and the, the desires and the thoughts uh, that he intends to praise the Lord. And secondly, that he will recount his works. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. So it's not just him praising the Lord personally, but his praise is going to spill out into his life, and at least in his, his, his gospel witness, I will show forth all thy marvelous works I will tell other people. I will show forth maybe in my personal witness, but also in the words that come forth from my lips. I think both could be understood. And, and then the third, 
uh, of this praising is he that he rejoices in God. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. It's building and building up. I will be glad. I will rejoice in thee. Man, man's chief end, of course, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And, and, and we can so easily uh, fall into the mistake of, 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 of not doing these things, of, of not praising the Lord with all our heart. We don't praise the Lord with all our heart. We don't, we don't show it forth in our lives and maybe we don't share it with others, the truth of why God is praiseworthy. And we don't, or we're not always glad and we're not always rejoicing in him. But the Lord knows this, which is why the Lord gives us these examples in David and elsewhere and exhorts us again, as, as Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice uh, always, and again I say rejoice because he knows that we have the tendency, and no doubt it is a sinful tendency, to not rejoice in the salvation, not rejoice in the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God to scum like us, that he has been so pleased to be kind and loving and having sacrificed his son for us. And you say, well, David didn't know those details. No, he didn't, and he didn't know, need to know those details necessarily. He had to believe the word and the promises of God and that faith was accounted unto him for righteousness. But we have that fuller truth. We can be truly and fully children of light because of the light of the New Testament scriptures as well. But we are to learn to rejoice. And sometimes you just have to take yourself by the scruff of the neck, as it were, and say, why am I being so um, morose? Why am I being depressed about a certain situation? And it's so easy when our eyes are on the situation to become morose, to become disappointed, to become uh, full of the problem and then forget to rejoice that we're robbed. We rob ourselves of the joy of his salvation, the joy of the salvation that we have received from him. And, and so in some ways, it's not just that he's talking about he will yet praise him, he will yet show forth his praise, he will yet be glad, but in some ways he's, he's, he's exhorting himself. Is exhorting himself to do this. So he's rejoicing in God, and then he also speaks about, in the end of verse 2, uh, he speaks of a reverent singing, I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. And thou most high is something that's also uh, been used, that expression uh, elsewhere. The, the end of Psalm 7, um, it was uh, Kylan... Kyle and Delich, those, uh, those uh, Hebrew scholars of the 1800s that link those two together. So it's so nice the way that the, before Psalm 8 begins, we, we have the praise to the name of the Lord Most High and then the works of the Lord in the highest, in the heavens. And then we come back uh, at, the end, at the beginning of Psalm 9. Okay, it's the second verse, but again, speaking of, of thou most high, the most high God, Elion, is, is that word, if you're familiar with those phrases. Elion, the Most High. And it's not that the name is the Most High, but it's that God is the Most High. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. Well translated uh, here, of course. No doubt there are some translations that say the Most High Name, and that's wrong. So here we have this, this fourfold uh, praise being forth told. 
And yet what we see is that it, it's in the future tense. It's not saying, I am praising thee, I am showing forth, but I will. Why do we have that future? Well, because that praise is, as it were, yet to be earned. And of course, we've got to be careful when saying that, that, that earned, but the, the praise is going to be given for a reason. So we have the praise that's foretold and the praise that is to be given. For what reason? Well, verse 3 gives, well, verses 3 and 4 says, When I will praise thee, I will, uh, I will show forth uh, all thy marvelous, work, marvelous works, I will be glad and rejoice, I will sing thy praise when mine enemies are turned back. They shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne judging right. And those two go together in that next alphabetic section. Uh, so we see the praise is earned. And so when and why the praise will go forth when the Lord, as it were, has fulfilled the defense and the help of David in this regard. It's, it's, it's amazing if you consider, consider it. Amazing is the correct term. Um, but it's certainly remarkable and worth remarking on that here we are in the ninth psalm and this must be the, the seventh personal psalm uh, written with, with, with the signature of David, as it were, and he speaks about enemies. He speaks about coming before the Lord and calling upon the Lord for help. Now, it may be that where you are in your life, according to God's most kind and wise providence, uh, according to where you are in your walk with the Lord, maybe you're, maybe you're only a few years old in the Lord or whatever it might be. Uh, and I know myself, many years ago, you'd read through this, and of course you would read it, and you would, you would try to understand it. But maybe you can't yet experience it, but there will be a time when you can experience something of what, what David is saying, but it's just interesting to then notice that from Psalm 3 to Psalm 9, uh, maybe with the exception of Psalm 8, that, that David is constantly talking about his enemies, and Lord, help me with, me, with my enemies. Psalm 7 is so strong in this. Um, o Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. And we've already gone through that psalm that so many are, are against the people of God or, and in the personal experience of the believer that there are people who are against you and out to get you and to destroy you personally, whether it be in your family or your, your, those friends or neighbors. Neighbors can be a real challenge um, in life. Uh, but then he's talking about this again. This is a very different language, can we say, to the contemporary Christian worship music. There's all talking about frothiness and, and light things and my emotions and my feelings. And, and um, I don't know if you know, and maybe it's, you're blessed if you don't know, there's a song. It's, uh, it's all about you, Jesus, that one. And then the, the, those that would mock that saying would say, it's all about me, Jesus. Uh, which I think is really quite true. Uh, I'm not saying that's the... And I'm not going to be so cynical and bitter to say that that is the motivation of the children of God who are in those services and are, who are attempting to worship God through that sort of music. I'm not... Uh, who am I to know their motivations? But I'm just saying that it's so man-centered and it should be Christ-centered. 
And as David is suffering, we're seeing something of the hatred that was towards Christ in his earthly ministry. And the hatred that's towards Christ now, but of course he's not on earth, the hatred that's towards God. But again, we're coming across this, this biblical truth as we're now in, 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 in Psalm 9. It is a recurring theme in the experience of the church, of Christ, and of the believing. And God willing, it won't always be so, but, but we can call upon the Lord because there are many enemies to the people of God. So he is saying that, Lord, when thou hast answered my prayer, when my enemies are turned back, and then the Lord will deal with them. He says, they shall fall and they shall perish at uh, thy presence. Very interesting. That's the, if I'm correct, that's the first. I'm not sure it's the only time, but it is something that I would suggest helps us to look forward to the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, when the soldiers came and those from the temple came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, what will happen to them? His enemies, they fell. They were, as it were, turned back and fell. Um, but we won't go into that sort of detail. They didn't immediately fall and perish at his presence at that moment. For thou, in verse 4, for thou hast maintained my right and my cause. And this is something that the Lord does. He maintains our right and he, he maintains the cause. That's, if you know Psalm 124, and I think that's a fairly familiar psalm to us, that we, we read there, if, the, if that the Lord, now Israel may say, and that truly, if the Lord had not our cause maintained, if that the Lord had not our right sustained. Well, then we would have been the, at the prey of our enemies, uh, but the Lord has helped, and he will help. And there are so many different enemies to be experienced in life. Um, and, and what it does, it, it causes us to do what? To, to pray unto the Lord, and then at the appropriate moment to, to, to praise him, as we see in verses 1 and 2, uh, what will happen. So we've seen the praise foretold, the praise earned or yet to be given. And then in verses 5 and 6, as we come to the end of this, this first point, is the perpetual praise. There's perpetual praise that's being spoken of here in how the Lord is dealing and will yet deal um, so we can say uh, he has dealt with our enemies, he is dealing with our enemies and that future. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. Here we see judgment, the judgment upon the unbelieving world. The, the word heathen here is the word goyim. Um, so the nations, the Gentiles, as the, as, which is Latin, but it is, translates uh, the, the word ethnoi in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, um, in the Greek. Again, the, the nations outside of the people of God, the, the, the others. But what he's saying here, because we have a parallel uh, expression, it says, thou hast rebuked the heathen, then he goes on to describe what he's done, thou hast destroyed the wicked. So he's saying the heathen because of who they are, uh, they, they are wicked, they, they are to be destroyed. They are absolutely to be destroyed. In fact, we can even go on and send, and when he, he starts to address the enemy in verse 6, he, he says essentially a thing, the same thing, destructions are come to a perpetual 
end. No, it's not. It's not quite the same thing. It's a different thought. Sorry. So thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. And is it not the the case that that many who are wicked, uh, many of these, the tyrants throughout the world, even going back to the very beginning of time, have always wanted to make a name for themselves. And yet the Lord says that 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 name will be put out. So even now when we think and speak of, you know, the Genghis Khans, the, the Stalins, the, the Lenins, the Maos, the, uh, and even going further back into history, uh, Vlad the Impaler and, and, and Herod, the various Herods, the horrid Herods, uh, that we can, uh, that these men would desire to build buildings and build a name for themselves, or let alone all the Roman emperors, of course. And yet God's saying that he, he will destroy these wicked heathen, and thou hast put out their name forever and ever. Thou hast rebuked. This is something that's not yet seen, but it's as good as done. When we see this past tense being used in this way for something as yet unfulfilled, it's so sure that it will happen that the psalmist can use the past tense. And of course there have been rebukes and there have been destroying of the wicked. So we we can understand that in the history of God's people before uh, Psalm 9, so before uh, David or in the time of David himself. But what we're seeing here is a number of things. They will be nameless. He will erase their name out of history. So although we may consider the goodness and the glory of God uh, for eternity when we're with the Lord there'll be no glory to their name. It's not as though we're going to just have this, you know, it's going to be wiped out of our memories and we won't be able to know, you know, who was that great Mongol marauder again? We just don't know the Lord is... No, we'll know the name, but it'll have no glory with us. It'll have no uh, special uh, meaning. You know, the, 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 the fools of the left go walking around with, with Che Guevara T-shirts on, you know, and, think, and thinking there's something special about him or whoever. There'll, there'll be none of that. Because, you know, although we won't forget their names, they will, be, they will be erased, all the glory will be erased with them. They'll be nameless, and in this way they'll also be fatherless, for they'll have, they'll have no name. That's an idea of a name as well. So the idea of, of an inheritance, of, of being of a, of, a, of a goodly lineage, it's certainly not of a godly lineage. Again, that's, that's, you know, of the House of Winds or the House of Orange or whatever it is. You know, all these, all these glories and all these important things, not in and of themselves, not unimportant, very much to do with our human identity, they will be removed, they will be disinherited, they will be the godless, the wicked. But we see then in verse uh, 6, he now turns... And, and speaks to the enemy. And we can say here that this is part of him showing forth all thy marvellous works. Something we also see again uh, towards the end of the second section uh, when he speaks um, not, not put towards them but about them. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. But coming back to therefore verse 6 it says, O thou enemy destructions are come to a perpetual end and thou hast destroyed cities their memorial is perished with them so there's, there's a lot even in this verse so these the, the enemy 
in the world, the, 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 the violent men, the, 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 the empire builders, the, those who are destructive. We can even go into the realms of business and you have such uh, wicked activities that, that big business will come and, and buy out a business and then just take it apart. Just wants its parts. It doesn't want the competition. And even if it's a, you know, a family business and all those workers are put out of work, they don't mind. Um, they just come along and they take the spoils of another business. But our enemy destructions are come to a perpetual end. There will be a time when it will come to an end and that end will continue. It seems like a strange way to understand it, but it means it's for eternity there will be a stop to your violence and your wickedness. Thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. So all these wars and all these empires and these kings against kings, we could even go into the inner cities, these, these, these gangs against gangs, and, and all of this violence and wickedness is all, even, even the place where they take place will be, will be perished. There won't be one city standing. There won't be a signpost standing. When Christ comes and he uses his divine fire to, to cleanse the world, there will be, there'll be nothing left of the old world, I do not believe but all things will be made new by him. So their name, their reputation, as I've mentioned already, is absolutely perished. Which brings us to our second point. So the first is the song of victory commences. Secondly, the eternal victory is declared. I'll try to move quickly through this. And that is then compared then when we consider verse 7, when we consider the, 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 the destruction of the wicked, of the heathen. And what do we begin with in verse 7? But the Lord shall endure forever. That wonderful and glorious contrast is that you are all, you are all flesh and blood. You will all die. You, your bodies will rot. And everything that you've worked for, will, 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 you know, that the, the moth will destroy and the rust will eat up. But the Lord, Jehovah, shall endure forever. Now here we have a section, verses 7 to 10, that all begin... Uh, with the same, same letter, which is part of the Lord's name. That's maybe just a coincidence, but these, are all, these sections are together. So we see the eternal Lord as a wonderful contrast, that they are destroyed forever, but his throne remains standing. This, this Lord that we can call upon for help at all time, who will deal with our enemies and his enemies, that we can look unto, who will deal with them, that we will therefore praise, and not just now, but there will be an eternal praise, that he shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. So there's two aspects to the Lord's throne that we'll see here, but I've not used them in the, in the sub-points, is that we see the throne of judgment and the throne of grace. They're mentioned here. Depends on whom he's talking to and what's he talking about, the psalmist. The Lord shall endure, he hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment, that is, administer judgment to the people in, in uprightness. And we see a lot of this. This is, this is a, a recurring theme throughout. Uh, we, so we have the praise for the, for the deliverance of God, but again and again and again, we're seeing something of the righteousness of God. 
Uh, verse 4 that we've already looked at, thou sattest in the throne judging right, literally in the Hebrew, righteousness. Tzedek, righteousness. Judging righteousness. Not judging those of right, righteousness, but his, his, his judgment is so right, you know, the, 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 the word is used is righteousness. It is a righteous judgment. Again, then we're coming back to verses 7 and 8. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. So it's not just for rule, it's not just for mercy, it's not just for glory, but it's also for judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. And again, uh, the disciples of Christ, the people of Christ would also be involved in judging uh, the world. But we're not getting into those details. But the Lord shall ensure. So he, has, he is eternal, and his throne is eternal, and an aspect of that eternal throne is for an eternal judgment, the judgment that will be felled. He shall judge the world in righteousness. There's no, there's no chance that anybody is going to end up in hell that didn't belong there, and there's no chance that anyone will end up in heaven uh, and, and shouldn't be there. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. And again, we have that word people. It's a different word for people. So a, a word that can be used as nation, but it's not goyim, it's a different word. And so we might even see that he will judge all of the world in righteousness, and we could even see that he will minister judgment to his people. So we could see that not just a parallelism, but a, but a different direction of that judgment that a merciful judgment, because then he goes on to say, although it may just be a parallelism when we see in verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge. So he's the eternal Lord, he's the righteous judge, but he is, thirdly, our eternal refuge. He's our eternal refuge that we see in verses 9 and 10. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And of course, let us not fall down uh, in, 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 into, the, uh, in, into the holes and the, and the mire of the, the liberals that would then have this idea that the Lord is some sort of social worker and he looks upon the poor in the world in the same way that they would in some sort of pity. But actually, it's not a pity. It's a snobbishness uh, looking down upon these people um, and, and in some way just, just, just using them. Um, uh, and not actually, not actually seeing themselves in any way the same as them. That's been my experience of many liberals. In some ways they're still better, and they have to come to the aid of these poor people who can't help themselves. But they could if you didn't bring in your foolish socialist policies. But then again, uh, greedy capitalists also have much guilt as well in that regard. But let's come back to the text. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. Well, let's understand that as mean, meaning the people of God. And how, how do we understand that? Well, the poor in spirit, that God's people are oppressed, that the, the, the redeemed are oppressed in the world because the devil's against them, the world's against them. But all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer tribulation and persecution. So I think it's, it's, easy, it's, it's clear enough to say that this is regarding the people of God, that he will be a refuge for them. No one else will flee to God. 
but the people of God. So he is a refuge. He is a refuge to the oppressed. He's a refuge in times of trouble, and how true that is. And that's what David has been doing and teaching us in the last number of Psalms that what he does, except Psalm 8, what he does in these times of trouble when he sees the enemy uh, around him, he sees these difficult things, and he goes straight to the Lord because in truth he cannot bear them. And we cannot bear them. We cannot bear these trials. We cannot bear the hatred. We, we know how much uh, hatred and rejection, cancelling as it happens these days, is just an extension of the, the wickedness and the hatred of man toward man. That that really hurts people. There are people, of course, who, uh, not of course, but people you may have heard of, um, maybe you've even known some people, but certainly you've heard of those who have been cancelled or they've been shunned on social media and whatever and they've committed suicide because the pain of rejection and hatred is is not easy to deal with by any means people can be in people can be in counseling for years and years dealing with 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 with, with rejection but this is the wonderful truth about the gospel then is that finding our identity not in the fact that other people like us and affirm us in any way that is that is a, a, a terrible uh, thing and of course it's encouraged all the more these days because it teaches you the fear of man and not the fear of God but that you would learn not to look for the acceptance of man but look to the acceptance of God in all things and find your identity in him and then when these and when these wicked as the uh, uh, the enemies and even on the on the broader scale we think about the, the you know the enemies of the people of God that, that we are to find we are to find our identity in God. We are to find our refuge in him. You know, running in prayer and with our heart and our thoughts to the Lord, to our heavenly Father, uh, and, be, and seeking him as a refuge, a refuge that will protect us, but also protect us because we're obeying his word, uh, as our brother preached just recently about casting these cares upon the Lord, letting go of them, letting the Lord deal with them. And, and, of course, you're trusting that he will. That's faith. That's faith exercised. I'll cast my cares, and although I may pray about them, I'm not going to be absorbed by them. I'm not going to be uh, fretting. Fret not thyself, the psalmist says. That we're not fretting ourselves because of evildoers. But we're trusting him to deal with it. So the Lord also will be a refuge, and he is a refuge, and we can go to him and call upon him and wait for him to deal with it perfectly in his way, as we looked at uh, recently, I think was it in Psalm 6, uh, that we are to leave the vengeance up to the Lord. So we bring the problem, we bring the problematic people, we bring all these situations before the Lord and, and, and we let it go. And we trust in him and we will, will not allow ourselves to be intimidated into the fear of man. But may God grant us grace that we would fear him more and love him. So he is the eternal refuge. He's the eternal refuge also for the truth that we read in verse 7. Because he endureth, we endure. Because he lives forever and ever, and he righteously judges um, his enemies and, 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 and makes judgment upon us also. But we, when we go to this eternal refuge, we have that eternal refuge. You know, heaven is a refuge for our souls. Until the Lord determines that the, res the second um, resurrection will take place. And that we will have that resurrection of body and soul. And then we will be in that eternal refuge with Christ on earth. 
as heaven is on earth and Christ is on earth and we are in our bodies uh, praising the Lord, we will be in that eternal refuge. And a refuge you can't, that won't demolish around your ears because you know, there are no enemies outside, as it were. The enemies have all been dealt with. The, the enemies are all in the eternal lake of fire. And if, and if hell is, is, is gulfed with an unbridgeable gulf, that must be the same, if not worse, for the eternal lake of fire and from heaven, although we do know from Revelation that the smoke of their cries ascends upwards uh, to the Lord and that there is the witness of the people of God of that. But regardless of those details, he's the eternal refuge. And then we finish with verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Yeah, this was the verse I was looking for. The verse that that talks about the the witness that we have. Again, it refers back to... um, Verse 1, I will show forth all thy marvellous works. And this is what we will do. So again, I will praise thee, O Lord. This is the, the first uh, two verses. It, it is again, is that, that, that looking forward to the Lord, uh, doing that which you've prayed for him about in your life, in the near future, as it were. But it also has an aspect of the, of the future that this will yet be the case. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. We will be there. There will be judgment. There will be a separation. There will be a division by grace. And we shall sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion and declare among the people his doings. So an aspect then of, of that is not only just looking ahead then, verse 11, but also something of our present witness that we have, that God is on this throne, but it is the twofold throne, as I mentioned. It's the throne of grace, it's the throne of judgment. Solemn truth. In other words, we will tell others, declare among the people his doings. We can declare what we've just read, that the Lord is a refuge, but the Lord is a judging God. The Lord is merciful, and the Lord is righteous in his judgment. The law and the gospel that we are then encouraged here um, to declare among the people. And that may be a challenge more or less to us all to declare to others that this God, and everyone's happy to hear about a good God, a kind God, and yet they will not hear about a righteous and judging God. But they're quick to judge God. These same people. These same people will judge God for being righteous, judge God for the the problems in the world, and yet they will not look at their own sin and realize that the reason why there is death and destruction and evil and sin in the world is because of us. We are the cause of it. And so we've had the song of victory commences. We've seen the eternal victory declared, and God willing, next time we we will continue and complete our examination of Psalm 9. May God bless his word to us. There's, there's much in here, there's much in here, but may he bless it to us. Amen. Let us pray, please. Our Lord, we thank thee that thou hast a throne established in the heavens. No man and no devil can move it one millimeter to one side or the other. It is fixed as our brother was talking on the Lord's day evening that our hearts should be fixed. Oh, there's nothing more fixed than thy throne. Nothing more fixed. 
And how glorious that is, O Lord, that even the screams of these dust, particles of dust and ash on the earth, have no effect upon thy throne. We thank thee, Lord, that thy throne is established. It is a throne of righteousness. It is also a throne of grace and mercy. And Lord, we've considered some of these things. And then, in many ways, there is so much in this psalm. So many different aspects that are brought up. And yet we do see again and again thy righteousness. Again and again, that the cause of thy people to glorify thee and to praise thy name, to thank thee. Lord, thou art merciful and good. Help us to remember that thou art a righteous judge toward our enemies, that thou art our refuge in times of trouble, and that what we receive now at thy hand, thy merciful hand, is a foretaste of fixed things for the eternal future. And thou shalt be our everlasting refuge, that the enemies of God and God's people will be everlastingly dealt with, and that we will have that eternity of joy not joy that we have to exhort ourselves unto, even as we have to do now, but that it will be a true and everlasting joy, a, a joy even unspeakable. And so, Lord, we come to Thee and we pray. Bless Thy word to us. Help us to remember the joy of our salvation. Help us to remember the love of God to us that deserve nothing good from Thee. Let us be amazed when we consider the love of God the mercy of God, the gospel of Christ. And Lord, help us now as we come and gather together for this time of prayer also, for we need thee. And hear our prayers for Christ's sake. Amen. <laughs>